Good morning, Mosaic. I'm Panayota, and I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Potter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. But going ahead of the ship, but going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. All right, well, good morning. My sermon this morning is titled, Wide Awake. And I had about three or four different sermon titles ready for this um, sermon. Uh, One of them was Woke Church. Um, but I thought that might be disrespectful to Dr. Eric Mason and his book. Uh, go ahead and get that, Woke Church. Um, or When Church is Deadly was another one. But I thought that might, in especially in our present time, that might conjure up different ideas. Um, <laughs> or maybe the most boring sermon ever. But I didn't thought no one would want to watch this service. So we went with <laughs> Wide Awake. Uh, it, but how many of you guys have ever fallen asleep in church? Okay, okay. Um, How many of you, yeah, yeah, go ahead and raise your virtual arms there. Um, How many of you have ever fallen asleep in mosaic? (laughs) Well, I I can't actually see what you're saying because it's all virtual, but I want you to know that this is the only time that we can't see what you actually said. Like we, I want you to know that we preachers see everything. We have a great view. In fact, I think one of the funniest things for us to see as preachers is to see you fighting it in church. And, and I, I, there's another pastor who talked about this, that there, is, that there are four types of dozers in the church. Four types. The, the first one is the Hollywood dozer. And oh, I love the Hollywood. Hollywood means that they, they're acting. And so they, they fall asleep, and then they, they, they wake up, and they're like, oh, oh yes, yes, amen, amen. <laughs> Okay, say it. And they fall asleep. <laughs> and they're like, oh, love lifted me. <laughs> they just try, start, try to sing along. I'm not sure where you're at. 
I love the Hollywood nose. They're like, they think they're getting by everyone. And we know that it's not working. We're like, you've been asleep the whole time. Okay, that's the Hollywood dozer. The next one is, is the shameless dozer. Uh, the shameless dozer is one who just decided, you know what, I need a good nap today, and I don't care <laughs> what people think about it. And so I'm going to go to church, and I'm just going to go, ah, <laughs> like drool coming down. <laughs> like, it's kind of hard to preach through that. You're like, okay, let's just ignore this area over here. <laughs> and some of you are just like, you know what, I'm going to come into this and I'm going to bring my, my giant purse and I'm going to have like a blankie. I'll have like a thermos. I'll have snacks. This isn't for your kids. This is for you because you intended to sleep today, right? Um, that's the shameless dozer. Um, the next one is one that I think I've done before, uh, not in church, maybe, uh, <laughs> is the devotional dozer. You know, the one who, who has their Bible and they go, and so it looks like they're just reading the word. <laughs> and you're just like, mm. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like, oh, they're so spiritual. <laughs> they're just reading the whole sermon. No, we're sleeping. <laughs> but there's a tell on that one because when you're, when you're really sleeping, um, your, your, your bottom chin or your bottom lip uh, tends to drop a little bit. So you're like, uh. <laughs> so we still see it. We still see it. And then the last, the last one is the whiplash dozer. And this is the funniest to watch. It's the one who's just like, <gasps> you guys have seen this, right? You're like, where are we? Like, you're just like, is this reality? Are we okay? Calm down. We're in church. I love watching that happen. Like, it's really distracting to preach through that. But just like, you're okay, dude. You're okay. All right. All right. Well, today's story um, is really about a time when falling asleep isn't that funny. All right. This is a, it's a time when that was deadly. Uh, it's, it's, this is a really a story that's not something to joke about because really our passage is about a boy who falls asleep, but it's a story about the church. It, the rest of the church was wide awake. And so this is a church that is alive, it's awake. And I want to ask you, how do you know if your church is awake? How do you know if your church is alive? Like, how, how do you know if the church, like, especially during this quarantine, how do we know if, if, if the church is even awake during this? Like, there are, is the, if this is God's plan A to reach the world, do we, have, do we think this is actually still working for us? Is this still a useful tool? And I think today, we, our passage is going to reveal to us the three marks uh, of an awakened church. And I think that's, it's, a, it's a multiplicity of leaders, it's a dual focus, and it's a singular power. And so a multiplicity of leaders, a dual focus, and a singular power. And so I think just to remind us, Paul just left Ephesus. If you remember last week, there was that giant riot that broke out, and, and Paul is leaving that riot. Paul is leaving Ephesus, and I would say he is probably not sad to leave this city. Ephesus wasn't too kind to him. We love the book of Ephesians. It's a beautiful book. But Ephesus, if, if you look at elsewhere where Paul talks about Ephesus, in 2 Corinthians, he says that he was so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself while in Ephesus. Doesn't sound like the place he's too sad about leaving. Um, in 1 Corinthians 15, passage we talked about a couple weeks ago, Paul talks about this in Ephesus is where he was fighting beasts. So it's, it's an area that he's probably happy to leave. And so Paul departs Ephesus, but it's really not a story about Paul and his journey, right? This is not the, the book of Paul. This is the book of Acts, 
the Acts of the Apostles, and it's a story of the church, of, of multiple stories, of, of multiple stories of ordinary, mundane people doing some extraordinary, but some ordinary things, but find themselves wrapped up in a bigger story. And so look at the multiplicity of leaders that, that are here. Look at the people who Paul engages, and just in the first couple of verses here, look at verse 4. It says, Sopater, the, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and the Thessalonians, the Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus, and Trophimus. And then the Luke, the author, is talking about, and we, and so he's including himself in there, and so Luke is in there. So all these people are in here, and I think this is an important point for us to consider here, is that Christianity is not a solo act. Like, it is not... It is not a Lone Ranger religion. It is not a solo act. It is a barbershop quartet. Oh, I love those quartets. You hear all of the, the different tones, the, the bass and the treble, and I don't know the different terms. <laughs> I just play drums, <laughs> right? But it's beautiful. They all come together. It's not Beyonce, right? It is Destiny's Child. Oh, I love Destiny's Child. Why did she leave it? I think it worked out for her. <laughs> It's not just an oboe player. That's not a great instrument just to listen to on its own. It's, it's a symphony. The oboe within the symphony is beautiful, right? It is something together. Because if you think about our God, He is a covenantal God. He works in groups. He works in families. He works through, through families. When God saves Abraham, guess what? He and all his household are circumcised. It is in covenantal community that God works. He's, he's bringing multiple groups into, into play here. And I think it's through the unity and diversity that we see that this passage is so beautiful. If Paul was on his own, he would sink. I mean, if, if our, in fact, our passage here, like if you go back to last week, remember the riot that happens, we kind of skipped over it. But Paul is, fiery Paul hears about his friends that are going to be possibly killed in this riot. He wants to go into the riot and say, I'll save them. And his friends, the Asiarchs, who are kind of leaders in the city, are like, no, 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 Paul, that's not a good idea. Like, he has friends who are willing to say, that's not safe. Like, I, would, I want friends who are going to take the keys from me if I'm not okay. Like, I want friends to step in. That's, the, that's a good friend. And so in our passage here, we have people from all over coming together. Like, we have banding together for something bigger than themselves. You have the Bereans, you have the Thessalonians, you have the Asians, you have the Jews and the Gentiles, this multicultural mosaic coming together to see gospel ministry flourish. And it's a beautiful thing. I mean, when you can't point to what it is about a church that is just beautiful, that makes it even more beautiful. You're like, I'm not sure why it's great, but it's great. <laughs> like, there's so many things that are coming together that make it beautiful. And I think one indicator light that your church may be dead and dying is that the only ones who do real ministry are the pastors and the staff, right? Like if only ministry happens at that level and that it's so singular and it's bottlenecked that ministry there, it stifles it. Now, obviously as a pastor and as a staff member, I think it happens through that as well, but it can't just be there. Right? Like it, it is stifling ministry. Because what that means is when the rest of the church is watching people do ministry, it's like having 45,000 people at a football game who probably need some exercise watching the 22 people on the field who are so exhausted pulling their hamstrings and probably need a break. Right? <laughs> like the awakened church is, is full of active participants, not passive onlookers. 
And I see this in you, Mosaic. I see this in you. I see it all throughout this time. I see you busily caring for people. I see you throwing drive-by birthday parties to people. I see you surprising people and caring for those who are in need. I see you trying to find people jobs. Like, it's beautiful. And I can't point to who it actually is because there's so many people doing it. It's a wonderful thing. And then so the church is wide awake. And I think that leads us to the next point, that the awakened church has a dual focus that the dual focus of the awakened church is both word and deed, right? That that it's the head and the heart. It's orthodoxy and orthopraxy. We need to have both there. Like a truly alive church that's alive to what the Spirit is doing, that is alive to what the Spirit is doing in their midst, is, is radically centered on the Word of God and is radically active in the community. Like it has to be both. I mean, look at how different this new community is. I mean, Paul and his team go out to Troas, and in verse 7, on the first day of the week when we gathered together to break bread, now that's Sunday, the first day of the week, and this is the earliest explicit reference to Christians celebrating on a Sunday. You might say, why did they switch from Saturday to Sunday? And you would say, you don't say. The resurrection, (laughs) resurrection. The resurrection's a big deal. The resurrection's a big deal. And so he said, let's celebrate. (laughs) You may not have known that. (laughs) I'm sorry, I set you up. (laughs) Now we know, Malcolm got it. (laughs) But so they switch it to to Sunday because they're celebrating the resurrection, all right? And they get together with this traveling guest speaker, Paul. And it's an odd time for them to do this, right? He comes and he speaks at night and he's preaching until midnight. And you get the sense that the church here has a longing and an earnestness, and a desire to hear the Word of God. Like, there's an anticipation, like, a, a, that my heart wants to read the Word of God, like, that I, I want to read about the glorious riches of His divine mystery and mercy and His kindness and the plan of God and the work of salvation and covenantal theology. Like, they want to hear it all. They want to hear it all the way into midnight on a Sunday night. And then there's this minor interruption, you know, a kid dies, uh, and, and it comes back to life, and after the resurrection uh, happens in their midst, what do they do? Like, this is the craziest part of this. In verse 11, what do they do after this terrible thing happens? Verse 11, and when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a little long while until daybreak. I mean, what? <laughs> like, if that happens, I mean, doesn't that seem crazy to you? That if this happens in your midst, wouldn't you do something different? No, they wanted to come back and feast on the word because they love the word. And if that does seem crazy to you, I get it. It seems a little wild. But what makes Christian community different than regular normal community? I mean, I think community is this word that is just so important to our world today, like that everyone is striving for community. I mean, that's how Starbucks really has made it for themselves. Like it's not on their great coffee, like Early on, they position themselves as being a third place. And so you have your work, you have your home, but like where do you go is is that third place. And and Starbucks positioned themselves early on at this place where you can just go and you just be. Because the the human soul, the human heart is wired for that third place. We are longing for that community. And I think even more so right now, we are all longing for that community. We realize that. But how is Christian community different than that? Like, how, is it just regular community? And what I think we see here is that it's centered on the Word. 
that we, we come together, we want to feast on the Word. And what is the Word about? The Word highlights the most important thing in the history of the world is the center of the Bible. It's about Jesus. And so the, all the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, and all the New Testament is pointing back to Him. Like, it's all about Jesus, about a rescuer named Jesus who is coming to redeem His people. It is a story about grace, about getting what you don't deserve, Right? And that grace changes you. And it not only changes your doctrine, it changes the way you live and act and the way you behave. And so this is what I want to say is that it's a dual focus. And so we are about the Bible, yes and amen, and we will always come around the Bible. But we are also about being radically active in our community. And so in our love for our neighbor, in our love for our neighbor with our hospitality, like when Paul is preaching at midnight... In a small room, there's many lamps, it says, and so the oxygen was probably being cut out of the room. And so there's this boy there who maybe wants some air, and he sits in the window, so he's trying to do what he can to stay awake. But still, it's a Sunday night, and so let's give Paul a little break here. But verse 9, it says, And a young man named Eutychus, and his name literally means fortunate one or lucky one, which seems ironic because of what happens but he comes back to life, so there we go. Um, he's sitting in the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. I mean, how long did it take for someone to notice that he fell? I mean, how long did it take for someone to, to know that he wasn't there anymore? Like, did we hear it? Did they hear him die? We don't know how long it took, but what we do know, it wasn't that no one noticed. What we do know is that Paul noticed. Because what Paul does there, Paul goes, verse 10, notice what he does. Paul goes down to this child. Paul notices him. And in verse 10, it says, Paul went down. And I just want to stop there. Like, sermon got interrupted how dare you interrupt my sermon, right? Like, what would we do if something like this happened? Do we just keep going on? No, I had three points. I need to get to all the way through that. No, like all praise stops. All music stops. All liturgy stops. Paul leads the way and he compassionately quits preaching. Like that was a good thing. And he cares for a human being. And so there is no seminary degree that is gonna teach you how to care for human beings. Like that's just something that has to happen here. There's no ordination, ordination exam on this. If people are suffering, we as the church ought to wail on their behalf. The awakened church stops and notices when people are suffering. We can't just keep going on as is. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke of this when he talks about the beloved community and says, like, let us be dissatisfied. Like, Lord, give us a holy dissatisfaction for what we see in our communities. Like, be dissatisfied until those who are living in vermin-filled, unsafe living conditions right here in Waco, that these things will be a thing of a dark past and that every family will have a sanitary, healthy home to live in. Randy Neighbors, who is... Um, a hero of mine, he has, he has pushed the church and pushed our denomination into planting cross-cultural churches in our denomination for many years. And, and he asks this question of church planters, uh, and he begins it and just says, so you want to plant a church? And he just lets it ring out. And you go, 
Now I don't. <laughs> what? A, well, let me ask you this. Would your neighborhood miss you if your church closed tomorrow? Or would, would they cry or would they cheer? Like, we should so impact our culture that they say, I can't imagine a world without this church. That we as the church should have that same impact, that same type of positive impact that people say, I can't imagine life without them. Like, that we are noticing falling children. That we notice these things. And not shining light on our glorious acts. We're just noticing the, 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 the pain and, and the, the, the frustration of our community crying out. And we step into that. But all the while, not focusing on our glorious acts and that, but shining light on the glorious acts of what Jesus has done in the midst of it. And so it's both. It's a dual focus of word and deed. It is both. And so if you want to be wide awake, you want to have a multiplicity of leaders. You want to have a dual focus. But lastly, you want to have a singular power. A singular power, and I don't think this point can be hammered hard enough. A boy died. I mean, think about if, if you've ever put so much work into something, into, into your, poured your heart out into your business or into your group, only to find out that the, that the group that you're working so hard for is actually just faking it. Like, they actually believe what they're working for. They, they, had, they had these big dreams. They had these big promises, but there was no reality behind it. They were just words. Well, if the disciples are, are going around and they're stirring up the crowds saying that there's, there's this thing called a resurrection and it is Jesus has resurrected from the dead and in the middle of this, ser- this service here, a young boy who is probably somewhere between 8 and 14 years old, I mean, a child falls out of the window and Luke the doctor pronounces him dead. And what we see here is that Paul runs down to this boy. And what's he do? He does the most intimate thing imaginable. The text says in verse 10, Paul went down and he bent over him. The text says that he literally fell on him. Like just, the boy just fell from the window and he falls on him in this way. That Paul falls over him, falls over the body of the boy. And this is reminiscent of the way Elijah and Elisha perform these resurrections, pouring out his heart and his soul and his life into him. And he's praying for the resurrection. Like he's throwing his life into Eutychus and he wants to say, no, don't go. Don't come back. And the boy comes back. The boy comes back. Like he puts his arm around him and, he's, and, and then he tells the people, don't be alarmed. He's alive. I mean, the, the same power that raises Jesus from the dead is the same power that is alive in us. He is alive. Pa- Paul doesn't have some extra Jesus juice. Like Paul has the Holy Spirit and so do we. Like he is, the Holy Spirit is highlighting the resurrecting power of what Jesus has done. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to highlight Jesus. And his job right here is to highlight the resurrecting power of what Jesus has done, that the dead do come back to life. And I mean, this is a beautifully compassionate moment. And Paul at the end then puts his arms around, like gives him a hug. You're back. I mean, just imagining a child going like that. Like, that would rock you. And then he brings him back. 
and he's alive. And you just see that the joy there, like that's the joy we have to have, that the dead do come back to life. Eutychus needed life. He needed to come back to life. Like we all need that. We all need more than like another show to binge on, like more than just to get out of the house, like we, more than just another drug to, to, to fix us, like what we need is to be resurrected. We need to come back to life. Like we are, we are worse than what has happened here. We're not just falling asleep and falling out of the window dead. The, the, the Bible tells us that we are already dead, that we may be walking zombies, but we are dead. The Bible says that, that spiritually all of us have already fallen from that window that every single one of us is already dead and that we need someone to stop and to notice and say, they're not okay. Like, we need to stop and focus on the people. And if you're able to say, like, like, is that you? Like, are you able to say, are you at a point where you can say, like, I'm not okay. There's something wrong with me. And if you're able to say that, that's not a bad place to be in because now you're not lying to yourself anymore. Now you're able to say, like with the rest of us, that you're right, I'm not okay. I need a savior. Like none of us us have got it together. Every single one of us is deeply messed up and deeply flawed, but that's not the end of our story. Because Jesus resurrects us and puts us back together. We get recreated as we get resurrected. Like we get put back together. We get life put inside us. We get hope coming outside of us. And now we have that same singular power that raised Jesus from the dead inside of us. And then we go raise the dead too. Obviously not in our own power. Like we just go tell others about that power. Like we can't do it in our own efforts, but we have that power inside of us. And oh, I know we don't like talking about the Holy Spirit, right? There's something uncomfortable about it, but I don't get it. I don't know why we... we, we, Throw the third person, the Trinity, out. He's that important. He's alive and he's in you and he unites you to heaven. Like we have that. Like we are so close to Jesus. We are so, we are closer to Jesus than the disciples were. Like the Jesus inside of us is better than the Jesus beside us. We have him inside of us. And that power that saved you will use you. And sometimes it'll use you whether you like it or not. And so look at what happened here. Like, if I was preaching, and while I was preaching, one of you fell from our huge building's balcony. <laughs> That'll be at the, you know, in three weeks. <laughs> if, if I was preaching and one of you fell from the balcony and you broke your neck right then, I think I would just be like, I think I'm done with ministry. <laughs> okay. My preaching is so boring that people are falling asleep and they die because of it. And so like whenever I go to Presbytery, whenever I go to network meetings, they're like, well, I'm, I'm not great, but like, I'm not slim. <laughs> like, like, I just be like, I, it's clear. But, but isn't this crazy? Paul's preaching was so boring that it does kill a kid. Like, this isn't an isolated incident. Like, the Corinthians were talking about how bad it was. The Corinthians were like, Apollos is so good. Like, Paul, <laughs> Like, yikes. Apparently, he was not a good preacher. He wasn't gifted at that. And I think that's telling us something. Like maybe our use of gifts are actually hindering the church. If if the spotlight comes more on the preacher than on the scripture, we're doing it wrong. If the spotlight comes more on the Bible study leader rather than the Bible itself, then we are doing it wrong. It's highlighting the wrong thing. Like, and so the flip side of that is maybe your weaknesses are actually a strength in God's economy. 
Like it's, it's powerful because you don't have anything to point to. You get to point to something else and say it's, it's that power that's at work in you. And so I want to say take comfort. You might be able to say like, I'm really not good at this type of stuff. Like I'm really not articulate. I'm not gifted. I'm not winsome. I'm, I don't know how to share the gospel. I'm not clever. I want you to be able to see that the Bible says he can do immeasurably more than all you ever ask or imagine through you. More than you can imagine. I mean, do you think God needs you to, to, to blow up the, the, the Twitter scene? I said it so bad there. <laughs> the Twitter. <laughs> do you think God needs you to, have, have to be so articulate and so immaculate in the way you speak that people are just fawning at that? Like, no. What he needs is for you to be broken and to say, I'm not great, but I know a great person. Say, like, I don't know much, but all I know is that this person over here told me about Jesus. Let's go talk to them. I mean, this singular power that is alive in every single one of you is, is alive in every single one of us. It's not going to be, it may not bring everyone to preach a sermon, but it's simple enough to say, I'll pick up a phone and call someone and say, hey, how are you? That can be powerful. That can be powerful. And that's why we need this multiplicity of voices coming together to have all these voices looking out for one another, to, to encourage one another. This, this passage begins and ends. It's bracketed with, with encouragement and with comfort. And I think we want, to, I, we want to encourage one another. I need your encouragement, and we need to encourage you, and we need to encourage our community to look out for our community. We need the dual effect of the Word to recreate us, and then the Word of God, to, the love of God, to then move out from us as we love our community. But most of all, we need the singular power of the resurrection to resurrect us. Today, I know that there, a lot seems dark and hard, but I want you to see how good we actually have it. Like, we have it pretty good. I mean, if God can raise a kid from death, surely he can work during this pandemic. If God can do that, he can handle anything the devil tries to throw at us. Amen? Yeah. Amen. I want you to walk away today confident in what he's done for you and what he's going to do through you. Let's pray.